Welcome back to The Purpose Effect, the podcast about purpose-driven businesses and what we can learn about solving some of the world's biggest problems from the women who are solving them. I'm Elena Kersey, and in this episode, I'm wrapping up 2022 with some of the most powerful lessons I've learned about purpose this year. If purpose guides your work or your business, I hope you'll find some new nuggets of wisdom here, which you can bring into 2023. Or if you're contemplating a career change or have a mission you really want to align yourself to, then I think this episode might give you just what you need to take that first step. I started this podcast wanting to learn from women whose work was purposeful. I believed that purpose was something you found, and when this happened, everything would fall into place. But what I've now discovered is that purpose is really more of a direction than a destination. And this is actually part of the reason that it's so powerful in our work lives. It forces us to innovate and to collaborate. It forces us to think long-term. It encourages diverse thinking. And for all of these reasons, purpose isn't just good for solving problems. It's good for business. As I wind back over 2022, here are some of the biggest lessons that I've learned about purpose. First of all, purpose breeds innovation. Many of the women I've spoken to this year started their businesses to solve a problem that wasn't being solved. Often this came about purely because these women were looking for a product or a service that wasn't available, and so they decided to create this themselves. Sakiko Reuterschuld, the founder of Nomosu, actually never set out to start a business. She saw firsthand the negative impact sugar was having on her own health, and she started looking for honestly sugar-free options that tasted good. But there weren't any. Many of them either replaced sugar with dates or coconut sugar or honey, but all of these things still contain fructose. So while they may be refined sugar-free, the impact that they have on your body is the same as plain old table sugar. The search for an honestly sugar-free product led Sakiko to develop a sweetener which is actually good for you and to create a whole new future of sweetness in the process. We want to provide to everyone's sweet occasions um, something that's actually adding value to your health and that tastes delicious. The goal would be for in the future everyone to have access to healthy sweetness, in it, whether it be a finished product or an ingredient and even in restaurants, we've worked with some Michelin-starred pastry chefs using our sweet mix, and they're like blown away by how it replicates the taste and texture of sugar. We would love to be able to go to any restaurant and be able to have a sugar-free dessert that actually tastes amazing and, and is healthy. We really want to replace sugar globally. If you've been listening to the Women in Web 3 series, you will have heard from women who are using blockchain technology to innovate. Brie Yek's business, Carbon Phi, is using Web3 to solve some of the problems in the public goods space and to ensure that certain people or projects don't fall through the cracks when it comes to finance. are basically trying to fix um, what we call the public goods space with Web3 um, or basically a technical or technological infrastructure that will support the processes that will help to fund what we call the unbanked, the ones who fall through the cracks, the ones who have less visibility and so on. The whole idea behind our founding is that we wanted to create an incentive system 
for people to actually do more good things. Like our solution does provide you rewards, but at the same time, it also accomplishes benefits for a larger audience outside of yourself. It contributes to the regrowth of communities. So refi or public goods funding could be things like how do women get access to income? Or it could be a public good like, oh, how do you make sure that orphans actually get the right funding? Or uh, basically any kind of underserved project or community would be ideal to be put into refi. So it's regenerative for the society, it's regenerative for the environment, it's regenerative for governments as well. Stephanie Srikandi sees Web3 as a way to make the fashion industry more sustainable and less wasteful by encouraging made-to-order and co-created smaller product runs. By minting designs as NFTs, this also allows garment makers to continue to earn from the designs and the products they produce. Essentially, like the bigger mission is to make sustainable fashion the new standard. How we hope to do that is like, you know, the fashion industry generates a lot of waste. So obviously we need to consume better and more mindfully. And in Web3, everything is so community-based. In this setting, you're able to not only educate, but have ongoing conversations so people are aware and then can choose to consume mindfully. And with that, we're giving them options because, you know, with um, digital fashion, the production of a digital digital fashion garment produces 97% less CO2 than a physical garment, you know? So that's considerably different, right? But of course, people are not all going to just rock <laughs> digital outfits. We need clothes in, in real life, right? Um, but at the same time, like, how can we integrate different experiences and connect further with our consumers so that we can together uh, as a collective create like a healthier planet and a better future? So the way that we scale sustainability is through many different ways. Like one of them is co-creation, so you can co-create on your um, outfit that you want. So when you hold the NFT, you're going to be able to connect your wallet, choose the print that's associated in the NFT, then that print you can unlock it and then choose, I want to print it on this dress. So at the end, you get something that you've actually customized to some extent. So you love it because you chose and, you know, through that, you're getting educated because there'll, there'll be like an education piece. And essentially, really, you're collaborating or co-creating with the garment makers at our studio because they will then make it when you redeem it. And on top of that, they'll be involved in the smart contract as well, which is one of the uh, game changers that other business models don't do. So it's really like a co-creation process where you're you feel more of a connection with the garment. And hopefully because of that connection, you'll be consuming more mindfully. Mel Lowe and Joy Selingi are founders of the investment education platform Investera. And they see the financial opportunity Web3, and in particular crypto, presents as a way for women to have more seats at the table and to become a powerful voice in the way the Web3 ecosystem develops. I recorded this episode with Mel back in May, before the crypto markets crashed and the latest scandal involving FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried. But what she said seems almost prescient in hindsight, 
and perhaps even confirms the need for more diverse voices at this particular table. Yes, crypto is sometimes scary, sometimes also just feels there's there's a lot of scams, there's a lot of opportunistic people in crypto right now, but we cannot shy away from it. I think this is one of the greatest innovations potentially in our lifetime, one of the greatest transfers of wealth in our lifetime and I want women and underrepresented people to be sitting at the table and participating and be active builders and influencers and investors in the space. The second thing I learned this year was that purpose drives diversity. A big topic on the purpose effect this year was the barriers that women face in accessing money and what happens when women have more money. I spoke to Debbie Watkins, co-founder of Lucy, about the opportunity for all of us when small women-owned businesses have more access to money. 43% of businesses are owned by women, so women are not particularly underrepresented in entrepreneurship generally, and female-owned businesses actually perform really well. Women are a segment that have been sort of proven to be First of all, say lower credit risk. Secondly, actually women-owned businesses have been shown to um, generate more revenue and be more profitable than average given the same access to finance. Empowering small businesses and giving them access to the kind of financial tools and services they need has got this huge potential to expand the economy as a whole and benefit both men and women. If lack of access to finance is already an issue for small businesses looking for smaller checks, you can only imagine the barriers faced by female founders in the startup world. Only a quarter of women business owners will ask for money. And of those, only 3% of female founders will actually receive private investment. Tanya Rolf, co-founder of two businesses which aim to give women more access to money, sees this as a massive opportunity. It cannot be true if women are 51% of the population, uh, they only receive 2 or 3% of venture capital dollars. It cannot be true that 98% of entrepreneurial talent resides within men. This is a completely untapped skill pool and no one's investing into them. So there's much less competition because they're not being pursued by the VCs. That just presents opportunity as an arbitrage. But this isn't without massive barriers. Debbie and Tanya both spoke to me about the hurdles they've encountered purely because when you ask people, and particularly financial institutions, to do anything differently, it's regarded as a massive risk. Despite the fact that there is loads of data that backs up the fact that women are a good bet. Tanya dives into this here. Investors are, and VC included, which is it, it, it's super ironic, but you think of VC investors as sort of a bit trigger happy, a bit gung ho, you know, making money left, right and center, investing in everyone. But really they're not. They're very, you know, they're quite risk averse and they're also cookie cutting. They're reviewing a deal based on what's happened with a similar company in the past. So if you're a female founder building a company for childhood anxiety, okay, for the 1 billion children in the world that have mental health issues, okay, if you take that to a VC, there's no cookie cutter for them to, there's nothing for them to benchmark that against. So this is an unknown. So it's too risky for them. If I take uh, a company that says, I'm going to deliver your groceries 10 minutes faster than the company that's gone before, 
they're all over it because they can see that X company delivers groceries in 20 minutes. We can do it in 10 and they're now worth a gazillion dollars. So we'll be worth a gazillion and some. Lesson number three was that purpose forces you to think long-term. I kicked off this year by talking to Melise Tan, the founder of sustainable period product business, Bubble, about zebras. A zebra business is a concept coined in Silicon Valley in 2017 as a foil to the mythical unicorn. Where unicorns aim to disrupt or break industries, zebras try to fix existing problems. While unicorns grow rapidly through multiple funding rounds, zebras aim to reach profitability sustainably. Zebras are also purpose-driven. They aim to leave a positive social or environmental impact. Given the difficulties women face in accessing funding, it shouldn't be a surprise that there are a lot more female founders of zebra businesses, and they tend to test product market fit by bootstrapping themselves. I'd never heard about zebra businesses before my conversation with Melise, but what stood out from our conversation was the long-term vision. Because zebra businesses grow less quickly and aim to solve big problems, they require stamina and longevity to achieve their goals. It it requires a sense of longevity um, and stamina if you're going to be a successful entrepreneur. It's not just, hey, you know, I'm going to start a business two, three years, I'm going to sell it and flip it. I think there's so much more stamina that's required and longevity that's required. And I actually came across a a term um, called the zebra, which is the opposite to a unicorn. And I heard someone speaking on stage about a zebra startup versus a unicorn startup. And a zebra startup is a startup that's very much about this long-term goal. It's really very much about impact, whether it's on people or planet. Um, And Mm -hmm. I felt that resonated with me so much because I felt that when I just started Bubble, I was in this sort of hybrid zone. I'm not quite a a tech startup yet because I'm quite product-centric. You know, I'm not like something that, you know, VCs would want to invest in. You know, I was just in this weird sort of gray zone and I couldn't quite categorize myself. And I, I knew I didn't want to be a unicorn. So then what, what am I as a business, right? And I felt that really when I heard about that, we are a zebra. And, and that's really what I'm working towards is being a zebra. With purpose for me, I felt that if you have purpose, it really anchors you in your vision. Um, and at the same time, not just you, your community, your customers, um, if we can communicate this in the right way, they're going to buy into that purpose and and rightfully so, because it will affect them in the right way. And really, I think purpose is the seed uh, towards long-term growth. Stephanie Dixon, founder of Green is the New Black, talks about this in the context of Little Green Steps. The path to truly sustainable living is a tricky one, and it can easily get overwhelming or feel hopeless. But if we do what we can, with the resources we have, these small steps make an impact. I'm not one for extremism in this space. I think you have to meet sustainability where you can. And obviously during COVID and and everything, all the suffering that everyone has experienced on some level or another, sometimes you just have to do what you can. And that is enough. And we don't need to put so much pressure on ourselves. As long as we are doing what we can, stretching a little bit, and bringing others into the conversation around us and really voting with our dollars. The fourth lesson that I learned is that purpose fosters collaboration. To go back to the startup zoo, another characteristic of zebras is that they tend to move in packs. 
As a result, Zebra, or purpose-driven businesses, value collaboration and community building. If you have a mission beyond simply profit, you're more likely to view other businesses in your space as potential collaborators and be open to sharing resources. Brie Yek talked about how this was playing out in the Web3 space. I think the Web3 space, people are very openly collaborative. I think that was very refreshing. And it was important as well because coming to the conference, we, we did need to have dialogues to ensure that you know, we're not going to all be trying to duplicate what each other is trying to do necessarily because we should um, complement each other's strengths as projects in the space. Chantelle Lee, the founder of Kuching Food Aid, managed to bring together government, the private sector, and the not-for-profit sector in her newest project, the Kuching Community Social Support Centre. The centre allows NGOs and government agencies to come together to share resources so that these can be more effectively used. A collaboration of this kind is a totally new model for social support in Malaysia. I went back to Fatima, the Minister for Welfare, and I said, look, wouldn't it be amazing if local NGOs and government agencies could work together? Like, could that happen? We don't talk enough. We could all get in the same room together and just listen. Nothing needs to be done, but if we are all in the same room listening, what could happen? So why be formed a little committee and got the NGOs and the local agencies to come together and have two workshops where so much conversation came out of it. And it was a real eye-opener. And the NGOs, they came forward with their wish list, basically, of like things that they need to do good in our local community. And we pretty much put nearly all of them into this one centre. So it's a rent-free space, all fitted out with all the furniture, with all of the facilities that they ask for. The government is coming to the table to help with the operational costs and hiring of key, you know, figures that we need to coordinate between the NGOs and the local agencies. So it's it's an experiment for the next five years. It has never been done before. This conversation in particular made me think about the resources that are potentially wasted through competition. What would happen if we viewed our competitors as collaborators? The fifth lesson that I learned this year is probably the one that I was most surprised by. And that is that when it comes to purpose, it's more about the direction than the destination. When I started this podcast, I thought that purpose was something you found. I could see the impact purpose-driven business could make. And part of the journey of these conversations was trying to figure out how to find it so that maybe I and other women like me could find it for themselves. What I found instead was that purpose wasn't a destination. It was a direction. And that impact comes from taking steps in that direction every day. I think the penny finally dropped for me. I think the penny finally dropped for me when I spoke to Sayori Akada, founder of Mogami Wellness, about Ikigai. It turns out that in Japan, Ikigai has nothing to do with a Venn diagram. It's also not a model for figuring out what you are meant to do with your life. It's about living intentionally every day. It's about the small steps that add up to a well-lived life. It kind of breaks down this narrative of the Venn diagram where it has to be something the world needs, which I think is a little bit more grand and it's hard to take action. You take action with hoping and anticipating that it's going to be worth it. 
What that means is that you do not have to know for certain. It's really actually an acceptance at this moment in time, the action that I could take today that I believe is going to give me a life worth living is Ikigai. As this year wraps up, I'm hopeful that we're entering a world where purpose-driven business is becoming, if not the default, then at least mainstream. The conversations I've had with the women on this podcast inspire me every day to show up with intention and to take my shot. And you'll be seeing where that lands, or even if it lands, next year. In the meantime, I'm really encouraged by the big publicly traded companies like Nespresso, Kathmandu, and Danone becoming certified B Corps. Because this means that doing good is not just the realm of the not-for-profits or community projects. Doing good is actually good for business. So I guess that's Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays from me. I'll be back in your ears with a brand new season in February. And until then, here's to 2023. May it be the year that you take your shot. I'll be rooting for you. <laughs>